Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. The move to Texas, the birth of new Power Athlete programs like Jack Hammer and Lean and Able, and of course, the 2016 Power Athlete Symposium. What a way to end the year. This week, John, Luke, and Tex broadcast from the new Power Athlete HQ in a land that still uses dial-up. If you think the biggest event of 2016 was the presidential election, you weren't at the Power Athlete Symposium. Hear the highlights straight from a handful of grown men who held back tears listening to some of our guest speakers. And I can tell you firsthand that the only other reason for crying at the event was hearing Huey Lewis's Power of Love on repeat. No episode of Power Athlete Radio is complete without stories from the road. Usually they are seminar recaps, but this time the guys entertain you with their Mad Max experience from California to Texas. And like a couple of towny tourists, they grapple with the recent discovery that Austin actually has hipsters. Shocker. I know you want all the goodies coming out of Power Athlete HQ, and that's why you need to keep your eyes peeled this weekend for the Power Athlete Academy link. And if you're looking for the symposium audio, you're in luck. It's my understanding that Luke will be distributing it out of the trunk of his Civic in the form of a mix CD. Follow his MySpace page to see if he'll be coming to a Walmart parking lot near you. This is episode 191. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? This is Luke. You've got John. Say hi, John. What's up? And Tex. Howdy. All sitting here at new the new Ranch Wellborn in Austin, Texas. Uh, is that the name? Terrible name. name. We're, we gotta come up with another one. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Dude Ranch, <laughs> a, uh, where the dudes do a dudes. Unspec- uh, unspecified location here in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, welcome. I guess welcome to the Texas edition. We are all almost. Well, we're at least moved out here. Right, not necessarily all settled in, but we are moved out here. Everyone's safe and sound. The trip was not without excitement. Uh, it was definitely a struggle. So listen to us, people. Listen, if you are one of those folks who have been trying to reach us over the past two weeks, and like you've gotten dead silence, let me first apologize. Right, we're a small crew out here. We've been either uh, packing, unpacking, or stuck on a road, tra- changing tractor tyler- tires, trailer tires, or yeah, uh, sorry, trailer tires, and we're just. Just kind of coming out from the fog of war. You know what I mean? So stick with us. We're back in the saddle. By the time you hear this, things are going to be mostly operational, right? So one of the hardships of, I guess, moving to the remote, undisclosed location in Texas is high-speed internet, right? Or lack thereof. Lack thereof, because the big names won't trench out to us, which is a bummer. But we will figure out a solution. We, are, we assure you of that. But anyways, what are we talking about today, Tex? Uh, we got symposium, and y'all had a couple oh, yeah. adventures. Yeah, worth yeah. noting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then 2017. Yeah, 2017 is here. The resolutionists are uh, are out with pitchforks. They're at our throats. We've decided uh, we're going to do some New Year's programming for Gateway for people who actually want to get some some tried and true quality programming. That's our jackhammer and lean and able. And uh, some of the folks who jumped on that, hey, listen, I get it. You need you need an excuse to make change. You need an excuse to, to jump into something. But we have John based off of some customer service emails, some classic like resolutionist attitude. You know what I mean? Have you been reading these things? Yeah. Yeah. Which Listen. One, you mean which one's right for me? No, well, no, not those ones. The ones that are like, I purchased this uh, 13 seconds ago and it hasn't hit my inbox yet. What's oh, going on? You know, and it's yeah, just like, listen, no, people, hey, people relax. Like, yeah, yeah. It's well, like, it, I mean, it's, um, 
It's just indicative. It's like the guy that didn't know what the D was <laughs> and was really asking what the B was. Yeah. And so, what's yeah. the D? What's the B? He's like, I know what a, K- a DB is. I know what a KB is. I just don't know what a D and what a B is. <laughs> so I told him his mom loves the D and I love the feel on her Bs. Yeah. They met, <laughs> figure it out. And then from there, fella. go on. Uh, but okay, so yeah, we probably since. Uh, before before this whole move started, before the pack and packing the gym and the pod snafu and then the trailer explosions, uh, we had <laughs> we had we had our power athlete symposium, right? And this was like, I, it's a shame that all this shit happened because like I've gone into uh, you know like where you block out the, like certain times of your life because of the traumatic stress, but like it was right after right before the move. But it, I thought it went. The symposium went amazingly, and the speakers were fucking awesome. And uh, you know, what was cool is you know we've now got the video, we've now got the audio. I just before the move, I got about half of the lectures all synced up. Uh, there was some video snafus we got to try and figure out, but the goal is to have this thing packaged up and available for viewing for everybody. And you know, and going through that text, I know you've went back and listened to audio I did a few weeks ago. And uh, John's a steel trap, he remembers everything. We were literally driving down the highway in Texas and we've had, we did a cert at CrossFit Central like two and a half years ago. He's like, oh, barbecue place is right around the corner. And like, we hadn't eaten for like eight hours. And I'm like, are you sure, dude? Like, it kind of looks familiar. He's like, dude, you never forget a good barbecue place. And he exits and uh, takes a right. And he's like, it should be up here on the right. And sure enough, that fucking barbecue place was there. And we got like 10 pounds of barbecue. But anyways, the moral story is steel trap over here definitely remembers. Yeah, for, so. bar- for barbecue places. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my superpowers only exist for uh, remembering barbecue spots. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, some notable speakers for me personally were... Um, I mean, Brad Schneider rocked the house. He yeah. just rocked the house for me. It was a great way to to approach the closing. Uh, He's a hack. Oh, come on. You were like, I could, I could see the stars uh, in your eyes. When I you're... Couldn't, well, well, dude, the only reason I'm saying that was I had to follow him. And I'm like, <laughs> God damn it. He gets up and gives like, you know, I'm like, the uh, the uh, EOD working with the SEALs gets blasted, loses, you know, loses his eyes, loses his buddies, and then one year to the day goes and wins a gold medal. In At the, the Olympics. In the, in the Paralympics. Yeah. Dude, it was. Oh, I mean, God. It's, so, like a, it's like a made-for-TV show that had Gary Coleman in it. Remember, remember they used to have those TV, uh, like like made-for-TV movies that were like the uh, Lifetime deal. Well, it was like, like a Hallmark. A, yeah, 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 like a Hallmark yeah. thing where the guys overcome. Uh, I was, was like sitting there being like, God, this is like a TV movie, and I got to follow this dude. He like everybody's crying and cheering, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I get up there and talk about you know, be the change you want to see in this world. So, but it's, here's the thing: it did put a bow on the top of like all the speakers. So here and. Just again, going back to the cadence of the symposium, uh, we had a pretty bitchin' Civic Center in Newport Beach, and what we would do is, you know, speaker would go up there, 40 minutes to an hour-ish, Dr. Tom, three hours, whatever. Uh, and then afterwards, we would have John and the speaker sit down for a Q&A, Talk To Me Johnny style, like a live Talk To Me Johnny. Uh, if you don't know what Talk To Me Johnny live is, Google it. But uh, we did a whole video series, one with Andy already, Dr. Tom. Anyways, it was great because people got to ask questions. It was very personal. But like each speaker basically had was on was in the spotlight for like two hours, right? Maybe two and a half. Uh, part of it was candid discussion. Part of it was their their speech or the uh, presentation. So it was it was killer. But uh, you know one of the, one of the things that uh, stuck with me with Brad is just like you know you have a you have a choice, right? When you get dealt a shitty hand. You, you make the choice. And it, he said it more eloquently, and I have it in my journal or notes, but 
or at my house. But um, no, it was it was pretty telling telling presentation. I thought it was a great way to kind of shut it down. But um, I guess more practically speaking, I uh, you know Andy didn't disappoint either. Andy was our our opener, right? And his deal was with leadership. And what what stuck with me on that specific talk was. Again, put more eloquently. Common sense shit, but put more eloquent, or in my opinion, but put more eloquently for the masses is, hey, you don't just, you're, like, if you want to step up into a leadership role, it's like fucking lifting weights. Like, you're not going to have the best back squat day one, but if you put a bar on your back and squat twice a week for 30 weeks, you're going to get a lot better. So it's knowing how to put yourself in that role, what to expect, and go back and reflect on what you did wrong, right? Yeah, and I think one of his major points was kind of bringing to light that no one is teaching leadership. Mm -hmm. It's something that, you know, coaches, something that I guess parents take advantage, um, take for granted in that, oh, this guy's a leader, we're going to lean on him, but they're not teaching the rest of their team how to lead. Yeah, it's like you're set in your your role, right? And where that comes becomes a problem is when the leader goes down, Mm -hmm. right? Who's going to step up? Who's comfortable in there? Who's going to do an effective job? Um, But uh, yeah, it was was killer. And then, uh, you know, because last year he kind of tied it together with his talk last year, which was about goal setting, Mm -hmm. right? So... Uh, what else? What notes did you have for Andy? Uh, just his qualities of leadership. Yeah. So in order for us to teach it, then he introduced qualities to kind of break it down. And the lead was humility. And that had to be almost the first quality of leadership because you're always putting your, your team before yourself. And that was, uh, that was a major part of it. So then that led into self-awareness. So once you, yeah, once you become self-aware of the whole situation, who you're working with and so on and so forth, then you kind of get into a position of then accountability. Uh, and once you're accountable for your team, your people above you, people below you, then you start to guide. Mm-hmm. And then this thing was uh, just focusing on completing the mission, right? So it's not this went wrong, that went wrong, <clears throat> and focusing on the goods and the bads. It's did we accomplish our goal? Uh, so that comes to being calm under fire and a situational awareness that, you know, in his situation, which, you know, Navy SEAL combat, it's a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. But he's teaching uh, he's teaching fertilizer companies how to lead. He's teaching yeah. coaches how to lead. So he's like, you still need to be situationally aware of everything that's going on. So don't rely on the stress of the situation to kind of then step into a leadership role. Right. You should be doing it throughout, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. But um, just kind of breaking down qualities. And then chipping away and last year he talked about the domino effect in each one of those qualities that just becomes your domino mm-hmm. that goes into effect and then before you know it you've developed all these leadership traits yeah and then you know during the talk to me johnny portion of it john you guys sat down and you were able to kind of compare and contrast the good the bad and the ugly between you know his more combat experience versus your nfl experience and i think somebody even from the audience asked like hey if you do have shitty leadership how do you deal with that right and you gave some pretty good advice there you know one of the questions that was asked was you know um if you if you find yourself under poor leadership how would you go about either like letting that that leader know and you had talked about like subtly passively aggressively like hey here's a leadership book and it kind of unwound into uh just you know hey you just kind of got to weather the storm yeah um andy's was pretty good in that uh the idea of like uh out leading the leader 
mm-hmm. you know, making sure that like you're doing everything to almost like exemplify how bad he's doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, I can think of like several instances where I've seen people be poor leaders. And you know, it's just so easy to kind of slide into like mediocrity with it and just be realized like, oh shit, the the ship's astray. So let me just jump in and let everybody kind of just drift and wander without a rudder. And I think that I mean, at least in my experience, it happens in NFL teams all the time. Yeah, you know, guys are like, well, shit, I'm getting my paycheck. Fuck this. And mm-hmm. Just let it kind of fucking just kind of drift off with no rudder. But uh, Andy's situation is a little bit different because you're in a situation where uh, these guys are, you know, headed to Afghanistan. They're in these you know stressful situations. There, you know, people are getting killed, and now they're looking for their leader or the you know the lieutenant, the guy whoever's in charge to put them in the best position possible. And for uh, for Andy, I mean, he was in a situation where the guy who was their officer in charge was doing a poor job, and he ended up uh, basically relieving him. And uh, I really wish he got into that story. It's a really good story. <laughs> but um, Andy's not. Next time. Tell, well, he, he'll never tell war stories. Yeah. Which kind of sucks because he's got really good ones. Yeah. And I think for people like us who have never been to war, like hearing that stuff is like, wow, that's pretty, it's pretty impactful. So it's yeah. powerful. I wish he'd done a little bit more of that. But. Yeah. And you know, the, what I thought was cool too is just get him giving insight behind the teams and saying, and we've talked about this in different components or aspects, but he goes, you know, people look at the, at the SEAL teams like there's some majestic unicorn of uh, talent and they all like each other. And it's like, and he's like, I fucking, you know, people hate each other. People on the same team can't fucking stand each other. But when it comes down to, uh, you know, an objective, they know how to work together. And that, that's, that was kind of a, a product of proper leadership is that, you know, how everyone knows that they're on the same streak. And then, you know, going back to what you said, this, you know, other conversations, you play with guys you couldn't stand, but between the whistles, you guys had a common goal. And that's part of being on a team is just put, let, I guess, let bygones be bygones or whatever and fucking go and attack. Yeah. And being part, part of being a good leader is being a good follower. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just recently, Minnesota Vikings. I don't know if you saw the story, but the defensive backs coach put a scheme in place. Mm-hmm. Defensive backs said, "No, nah, we're we're better than that." He just wanted to shadow a wide receiver the whole game. Mm-hmm. Team went against him on the field and just ran, called their own plays defensively, and then got smashed by that one individual receiver. Mm-hmm. So. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, so, so, so they went against what the coach said. Right. And they, they thought they knew more, and then they ended up getting smashed. Because, yeah, they <laughs> thought they were better than what their coaches planned, and uh, Packers, it was the Packers, blew them away. So that goes to something and that you and Andy even talked about in the Q&A, and you always say, like, just make your coach look good. Well, Do what they uh, say. Yeah, I, well, I, I used to tell young guys this all the time. Like, when young guys would come in, they'd always uh, – um, you know, be out there doing whatever bullshit they t- they learned in college they think would work, and unfortunately it didn't. And I remember telling a young guy one time, like, if you keep doing what you're doing, they're going to cut you because you're not doing what you're told. Mm-hmm. Do exactly what the coach tells you to do, and if you win, then everybody looks good. High five. If you lose, doing what the coach tells you, the coach has then to it's take the it. coach's problem, yeah. not yours. And they and they they probably won't cut you. They'll be like, hey, he's doing exactly what I tell what 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 I'm telling him to do, and he's not winning. So and now we need to figure something else out. And I, I relayed to him when I was uh, a second year uh, guy coming in and they just had me playing guard. Um, they wanted us, and this is fucking semantics, but they wanted us to jump set everything, which means like I'm in my stance and they wanted to take everything on uh, strong, which means you go like one, two forward and you move like to attack the guy almost like a run block, but they wanted us to do that with pass block. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden I'm in, you know, I'm like looking at, you know, playing Leon Lett on uh, my first NFL start at guard and he's playing in this wide three technique, which was pretty much off my body. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, if I jump set Leon 
don't let he's going to literally swim me and make me look like a retard on national TV on opening day. And um, I remember telling my coach this, and he's like, "Well, you know, uh, this is what we want you to do." And I'm like, "Okay, can we uh, can we do this a little bit in practice?" So we we used some guys that were uh, similar to what Leon Lett would be like, uh, usually a three, like you know, wide pass rushers. We put him in the three, and he had me jump them, and they were literally getting the corner every time. And he's like, "Well, he's like, you got to get better." I'm like, "Well." We got a short week, so why don't you let me try to set him like a tackle? And then, sure enough, I just basically set back at a 45 like I would at a tackle on a short set mm-hmm. and uh, did lose. And I remember my coach being like, okay, we'll just do it this one week then. So I go in and I basically pitch a shutout against Leon Lett, and he doesn't even get a tackle, doesn't get a hit, no sacks, nothing. And uh, the next game, uh, all the guards changed the way they set and we set uh, back one two no more jump set which is what they've done at the Packers and that was and since then Andy Reid has never had any of his guards ever jump set because when he came from the Packers they jumped everything and then ever since then we had the guards start setting like tackles and that was based off of that one day and uh, if he had done that sooner Doug Brzezinski who ended up beating out probably wouldn't have got beat out because he was having to jump set and he couldn't do it so I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, you almost have to look at this as a high tide rises all boats. You know, if you're in a situation, especially with a coach, you're like, okay, uh, we all want to win. This might not be the best. But in that situation, just going against, like, for game plan stuff, that's what those coaches do. They live live and breathe that shit. Those guys Mm -hmm. design game plans in, like, in, like, May. You know, like they're like designing those things months in advance. So I wouldn't ever go against that. And last thing I would ever expect is a bunch of DBs from uh, the Minnesota Vikings, which has been a real powerhouse, a real ass kicking organization (laughs) over the last 10 years to be able to come in and put together a game plan aside from their coach and basically go against it's good. Fucking idiots. They should cut all those dudes. Jobs on the line. We'll see what happens. <clears throat> yeah, no, they, they they will. I mean, if, if they did something like that, they'll probably get rid of at least two or three of those guys. You know, so. And I mean, this and you and Andy talked about, and you gave in your presentation, John, push versus pull leadership. Yeah. Um, I mean, where do you see that? Where a coach would push or a coach would pull there? Well, I, it's kind of a weird deal. Like I um. Uh, That push-pull observation, it's funny, I, I really relate that back to my childhood a little bit in that, uh, and you guys have all met my mom, but like my mom always had like, uh, she, she used to, you know, use kind of some funny things, but she always talked about like being able to pull you across the line, like, like you know, like when you get out in a situation, you have to be able to pull people across the line, and I always remember asked her one time like about the idea of like, well, like, how, you know, do you, do you push or pull, and she's like, well, I push you. But because you're my son, and I do it by yelling and screaming at you. <laughs> and uh, but she's like a lot of times like, and, and there was kind of an analogy she had kind of made, and that that I really um, uh, kind of grew on that one a little bit. But I really realized that if you have to push somebody, uh, they don't want to be there. You know, you can drag and pull and like, you know, get somebody to come. But like, part of pulling is them taking a step and coming with you. If you have your hand firmly planted in somebody's back, pushing them somewhere, they uh, they're gonna lean on you like a horse. And uh, you know, especially like, um, you know, when you raise kids, um, you know, I do with my daughters. Like, I've realized, and I probably take this from my dad. Um, it's easier just to like lead from example, be like, okay, I'm going to go do this and I need you to come with me more so than you being like, I need you to do this and then pushing them to do something. And uh, I can think back on 
owning the CrossFit gym and CrossFit football and power athlete and all the different uh, entities that we've worked with, you know, uh, Well Food Co. and, and so forth. And, um, uh, you know, anytime I get in a situation where I have to push somebody to do something, it's usually a failure. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, it's almost easier to like lead from example and just like throw a rope over your shoulder and drag somebody where you need them to go more so than like put your hand behind them and push them. And um, the picture I used for that talk was the one from uh, 300 where, um, remember the, uh, the slaves, the guys were like hitting them with the whips to try to drive them into the Spartans. They were pushing those guys to their death. And, uh, I always, and like, that's the analogy I always mentally think when I saw that movie, they were like pushing those dudes to their death and they didn't want to be there. No. And, uh, you know, the idea of, of push pull was this, you know, kind of leadership style. And I think it's just, um, at least I hope that the talk was an easy takeaway for people you know, who own gyms and own businesses to kind of be able to self-evaluate and say, what kind of leadership am I putting out and what type of, um, uh, you know, what type of, uh, like, you know, I, I guess you could say it's um, like... Culture? Well, yeah, like, like a culture, or more importantly, like what pressure am I exerting? Mm-hmm. Is it a push or a pull? And, uh, you know, like if you're in a situation where you have to push all your employees to work. That is kind of a top-down culture, right? It's But it's where you want to position yourself. If you want to motivate or that have that pull-through motivation structure. I should have went and got a bunch of personal clients. Yeah. And you know what's crazy is when I opened the gym, I had a bunch of personal clients. Sure, sure. But at that time, like, here's the problem. is like you were just like on the last limb of sanity, twin daughters. Oh, yeah. You know, well, like, well, move, remember we well, had to move the gym as well. Like, everything was just stacked up and working kind of against yeah, the no, structure. I, mean, I remember at one point I had like six or eight personal clients when I first opened the gym. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was super successful. And then, like, it's like more and more things happened. I couldn't really have them. And then I remember the people like trying to get them to get personal clients, and they were like, I'm like, shit. But you were also like, so the problem or a struggle with that, looking back on that, it was a, it was truly a culture shift because the culture wasn't, we weren't a personal training gym that, or at least we didn't, none of the coaches saw it that way. It was, you get the classes, you run the classes, you manage the experience. And I remember that we, we should have, in hindsight, there's a, you know, there's a thousand different ways we could have probably shifted that, whether it was via compensation or, uh, well, 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 the idea was always, uh, at least the way we did it originally, uh, uh, you know, in you know, in the pre-Luke era, was uh, you coach classes to be a rock star to try to pull people into personals. And also, it was kind of your 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 uh, how it was described to me is it's your farm league for the certs because that was my ultimate goal too is get on the cert staff, start teaching CrossFit football seminars. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, that, well, that was how we 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 supposedly were trying to like bring people in and get them rolled in, but no, it was tough, man. I mean, I um. Uh, the one thing that running the gym uh, taught me was uh, that if you divide your time and your efforts, you basically do nothing well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because I was trying, like, like we opened the gym and the gym was in this situation. And when CrossFit football started, I probably should just shut the gym down. Mm-hmm. But we... Or divided. Well, said, okay, here's... Because everyone was doing everything, right? Well, no. no I mean, the, the way I originally started was I, I was never supposed to run the gym. I was mm-hmm. just morally like just a partner in it. And then when uh, the guy that ha- was supposedly running the gym, uh, you know, we when it, our partnership end, ended, uh, I should have just been like, I can't do this. It's too much. And I should have mm-hmm. just fucking thrust it aside. But, you know, ego is a terrible thing. And sometimes ego gets you in trouble, which is what we talked about with Andy. And uh, sometimes you make decisions not based on the best 
resource of time and the smartest deal and you make things purely on ego or short and, uh, or short term not longevity as well yeah right yeah no and in hindsight i mean it's, it's like uh you know uh, we had a great company at well food co and you know but the problem was there was never a provision for it to be a full-time gig it was always just supposed to be a part-time gig between joe and i and when it needed full-time management and full-time work it just you know he wasn't going to do it and i was already so entrenched in my own stuff that uh you know we ended up bringing kate in to do it and um it just it needed 80 hours a week of a few people that that just lived and breathed and and bled for the food company and uh you know you think the gym business is tough the food company is tough i can only imagine um just go to any supermarket and just walk down the aisles and look at not as just food, but look at it as a commodities in space. So like think like think about like a Whole Foods. So you're walking down like the chip aisle, mm-hmm. right? And take a look at all the different companies that have bought shelf space for chips. Mm-hmm. And there's 50 types of chips, mm-hmm. 50 companies mm-hmm. each with their you know like I have a 24 inch shelf space and that shelf space is purchased from the from the company at a at a rate that uh you know they they don't only perfect purchase the shelf space you you sell them that I mean it's just like it's so incredible in terms of food and the commodity of it that um, it definitely takes a, a certain individual to have very unique and a very good deal so all right ladies and gentlemen we are back we just had a stove service guy yeah. on the undisclosed location come check for recalls the, well, the stove exploded when you move into a, a new house that hadn't been lived in for a little bit there's a, a lot of things that were kind of a quandary and a mystery so we had to call a bunch of different repair people and have them cut and check everything out and so our you know friendly neighborhood uh, stove inspector stove, yeah stove inspector came to see that uh, the racks were up to code so, so what's the deal? I, like the racks you actually put stuff on? Yeah. So so they they have this like cool deal where like like you know years past where like you have to reach into the stove. I don't and, no, and, I can't and, like, do that. Grab something out. Now they have this cool deal where like the uh, the the actual rack you um, actually like take two hooks and you pull the rack and yeah. it like extends out so you don't have to reach your hand into the oven. Yes. Yeah. Obviously some dipshit probably like was using uh, towels instead of like actual oven mats and they probably like lift it up and burn the top of their arms on the stove i do that all the time yeah but you are probably using- i can't afford fucking stove gloves are you kidding me is that or, brand i just put yeah i put sock i put three pairs of socks on my or hands or you can just put your hands underneath and lift this way but people do this probably uh-huh. and uh so they came up with this cool fandango deal where it like you know moves out and the problem was was that they i guess they had a poor design and anything over 30 pounds uh-huh. the thing would break and like fall and i'm thinking when the guy told me that i'm like who puts 30 pounds of weight yep. in the only, oven? Only 30, right? But like, what? I'm, <laughs> I'm, we'll, we'll think about on Thanksgiving. I'm like, I, I was like thinking, I'm like, what would weigh 30 pounds? Okay, Thanksgiving, you had what, like 12, 14 pounds? 15 pound bird full mm-hmm. of like stuffing. Yeah, and, five pounds. And then, but then you have, let's, let's say, a pan, and then, even though it's usually like aluminum or lightweight. 12 ounce beer can that you put into the turkey. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. yeah, 30 pounds is a lot. I'm just, that's what I said. So the guy was like, oh, we have a recall on these things. I'm like, well, bring it out, dude, because I might have a 31-pound something or something. <laughs> I have to cook Luke's head in there one yeah, day. Next thing you know, grease is on your head. 30-pound uh, head? Yeah. That's a it's compliment. A big head. That's a compliment. <laughs> so, Especially with this this homeless beard going. It's still going. It's like, I was telling you, like they have bed head. This is bed beard. Well, I, haven't, I, I haven't groomed it in a while. I think you should do something with it. Like I think you should shave it into a point. Like mm-hmm. what was the wrestler guys that had the like the pointy beard? Oh, Legion of Doom. Yeah, Legion of Doom. <laughs> I know you're a big WWE guy or WWF. Guy. Yeah, back in the day. And then I went WCW for a while. Ric Flair. Woo. Uh, 
Anywho, let's jump back to it. So we were we were kind of balls deep in accountability, uh, talking about that, which is kind of a good segue to the second speaker we want to chat about today, which is our boy Double A. Yeah, and vision and culture. So I mean, uh, we talked about that, and part of Andy's leadership deal was not blaming other people. So you establish a culture from the top down, which leads right into Double A's, and kind of he talked about his coach's journey, and he won early. Mm-hmm. So we had three national championship rings, like one as an athlete and then two as a strength and conditioning coach. So that's what he brought to the table for an interview was his rings. And he quickly realized, I don't have anything else to bring to the table. So then he talked about his journey of developing uh, vision, culture, philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that then sets the tone for your mission statement and everything on down. And what he started with was simply claim my victory. So what he learned at USC is you have to be in control of your, your goals. So setting a goal of a national championship for a football team is a terrible goal because you win one game or lose one game, excuse me, you're out. So then the rest of your games, if that comes early, you basically screw up your entire goal. Uh, so uh, he, he just established two things. First was develop winners. So that'll carry over to the arena, and then he sets his athletes up for long-term life. And the second was a united staff, mm-hmm. which uh, I really, because, I mean, we try to bring people into to power athlete, and they have to understand the system, the brand, the approach, the methodology, the mindset. Mm-hmm. So it's not taking what they're doing in their gyms. It's understanding uh, the power athlete approach. And then how AA said it was, you start with verbiage. So everyone's on a united front in terms of the language they're speaking to deliver the message. And then know your product. Mm -hmm. People that are going to step up and deliver like the power athlete message have to understand the product. So it came down to principles, people, process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one of the biggest takeaways that I was taking away from AA. Yeah. Yeah, And then, you know, just that it takes one bad seed. And it's just one of those... It was one of those common threads. And that was what we as a staff, when we sat down and debriefed, were like, you know, because there was, okay, so truth be told, we, you know, there was a a small, there was some structure to our selection for who we wanted to speak. But by no means did we take into consideration the common themes between everybody's talk. Like we didn't ask them to do that. We didn't plan for that. We basically said, okay. No, it was totally. Uh, leadership, it, coach, it, yeah, it was totally movement. accidental that everything. Yeah, leadership, coach, movement, Dr. Tom. And uh, <laughs> and then, you know, just kind of the pull your head out of your ass motivation from Brad. But every single one of them, unbeknownst to us, and I think unbeknownst to them as well, like fell in lockstep philosophically with one another, you know? So, and the cool thing is like double A, double A's talk was kind of the high level. And you could almost fit everybody under his four pillars mm-hmm. that he put in there for building his philosophy, right? Yeah. Faith, passion, mentorship, and integrity. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, definitely just killer. So th- my my goal is by the time this sucker comes out, I'm hoping that I can have all that stuff, <coughs> all that stuff dubbed up, uploaded, and ready to rock and put out there for for people to actually pick up and download right so um i guess outside of the speakers though how great of an idea was it to have that open bar for the wade's army silent auction i thought you were going to say the power of love oh god (laughs) that huey lewis in the news baby am i wrong do you still hear it on the radio and then automatically are brought back to the symposium yeah it was like zoolander 
It was like Should, Zoolander. It got it from Zoolander, Mugatu. <laughs> what was the song in Zoolander? Relax. Really laugh? That's going to be next year's. <laughs> uh, I'm an idiot. Anyways, um, I don't know. Maybe we could share some stories, John. <laughs> about, about, speaking about, of about ego, <laughs> no, speaking of ego and biting off more than you can chew. Uh, l- let me tell you one thing. One thing John is is de- like a road warrior. We drove. We drove from uh, NorCal down to SoCal after a cert. Uh, it was it at Freddy's? No, it was at Jesse's gym, right? Which is already at the wrong time of day. Probably like ten hours, twelve hours, right? You get caught up in traffic. And then we had to go see a guy about a horse. Yeah. yeah. Right? We, we had to go pick up a transfer case. Which is 20 minutes out of the way, which in John's speak could be 10 minutes to four hours. Okay. So yeah. long story short is we, we had a 20-hour drive. Yeah. And like no problem. You know, I, I, this is, I very rarely sleep while someone else is driving, but I know the big guy has like, you know, it's like Max Payne. For anyone who ever paid, played Max Payne, the video game, you hit a button to like go into super slow-mo and to, like that's, I know that's where John's head's at. So I'm like, I'm fucking out. I'm tired. Took a little napsky on the ride home, which is bad wingman move. I know, but it had to happen. Uh, but 20 hours got us home safe and sound. So yeah. when he says like, John, I mean, what's, what does Google Maps say the drive was? Uh, it's it was like 1,281 miles or something. So right. it should have been right around like sub 20. Should have been able to do it in like 19 hours. Yeah. But that's assuming I'm not pulling a uh, uh, a 6,000 pound Cummins 12 valve swap blazer on a trailer that I was told was a 9,000 9, pound rated. trailer, but it really wasn't. It was probably you- about a five or a 7,000 pound trailer. Yeah. So, um, uh, long story short, I, uh, <laughs> I needed to get a trailer to take my, my blazer out. And the day that I went to go get a trailer, because we, we'd been doing stuff, we'd been packing, I hadn't had an opportunity. The, um, uh, the, the trailer dealer is in Beaumont, Texas, or sorry, Beaumont, California, which is out near uh, Palm Springs. So the day that I get a trailer, it starts raining, which anybody knows that's lived in California, if it rains, mm-hmm. like people lose their mind and everybody slams their foot on the brake and accidents and crazy stuff. And so like all of a sudden my, you know, roughly should have been about a you know, 90 minute, two hour trip turns into like a seven hour trip. And I was stuck in bumper to bumper traffic, needed to get the trailer, needed to get home, had all these things to do. And so realizing that I'm not going to be able to get to the trailer place, I just jump on Craigslist and like, what's the nearest trailer I can find? And some schlub has a trailer for sale. I go there, cut a deal, drive away with the trailer, like literally was in such a rush, didn't even really look the thing over, like glance it, has wiring, it has wheels. Okay, it's, you know, it looks pretty good. The guy tells me it's a rated for 9,000 pounds, it's 20 foot long, like I go through everything, I'm like, oh yeah, it looks good. Okay, I didn't even bring a tape measure, because uh, I thought I was going to a trailer dealer. And, um, Little did I know, it's like a 19 foot trailer. Uh, the guy has like it's it's not a 9,000 pound because it only had like five lug axles. I mean, dude, like the the fenders were too close. Like it just. Yeah, I fucked up. And so um, I, I get home with this trailer. I'm going over with the vampires, and we're like, uh, this thing isn't what we what, what you got to do it. But this is all we got. Yeah. So um, we fortify it. We uh, I, I weld a bunch of um, t- uh, new attachments on it. We kind of like cherried it up a little. DJ added some more lights, and uh, we load the blazer up, and it seems to be okay. We're doing okay. 
And uh, But what happened was, anybody that knows it's driven on 10, especially around El Paso, the roads are pretty rough. And as I'm going over, the uh, the, the trailer starts bottoming out on the uh, the tires on the top of the fenders. Oh, okay. It just starts chewing up all the tires. Yeah, yeah. And so literally I'm driving through El Paso, we're like in this rough section, all of a sudden I hear this boom, and I blow a back tire. And so thank God we get right off, there's a discount tire supply. I... Um, Pull in, order a tire. Uh, this is like 9.30 in the morning. We'd already been kind of driving. Like uh, DJ had already blown a tire um, somewhere in New Mexico in the other trailer. And yeah, so let's let's talk about the let's also talk about just kind of the fleet. Is, or oh, here, you finish your story, okay. then we'll go well, back to it. Well, so I'll, you go the discount I'll, I'll, tire. Okay, so so the way that we're getting out here is uh, I have my my pickup with the blazer on the back in the trailer, and then I got my bed full of like safe and all the other stuff. Uh, DJ's drive my wife's uh, truck. And he's got our little single axle trailer that I got for free, mind you. It's a big text, but it's pretty nice. And uh, I got that for free because, you know, I don't believe in buying trailers. You just kind of get them in trade or people leave them. You just kind of get them freely. And um, so we have that loaded up with like a bunch of stuff. Uh, motorcycles. Ashley shoes, motorcycles. Yeah. Shoes and purses. Shoes and purses. Ashley, Ashley needs Ashley, her shoes and yeah. purses. Uh, all of our CrossFit football <laughs> t-shirts and merchandise. <laughs> it's on the back of an open trailer. Strapped down with like this like. Bungee uh, net. With this bungee net. Tied so, on ghetto. straps. Oh, so ghetto. Oh, God. Uh, so as we're driving, all of a sudden, DJ like hits me up on the phone. He's like, man, I think that tire just got a flat spot. I'm like, yeah, it's been sitting for a little bit. We probably should have like upgraded it or put new tires on. We, just, we were in a rush. We said, fuck it, let's go. And so he blows a tire. Thank God we have a spare, though. So we're on the side of the road with like the little mini jack, the trade, you know, a big semis are going by. We fix the trailer and we're out. So as we're what driving. What time was that, would you say? 10 o'clock. Yeah. Night. You uh, had left at noon. Yeah, or two. That two. Was, okay. so, so that was in Arizona. Okay. We hit a bunch of traffic. So we were in Arizona. We blew the tire. And then um, somewhere in New Mexico, we're driving along and DJ gets pulled over because when he blew the tire, part of the wiring had ripped away. And so there were no trail. <laughs> so there were no lights in the back of the trailer. So he gets pulled over. Tells the cop what happened. No problem. So we go to a gas station. We try to jerry-rig it. The wiring's just completely shredded. And we're like, fuck it. Let's just go. So then we're driving. We blow the tire in El Paso. Uh, I'm waiting for the other tire. I said, DJ, just go on without me. He goes on because he's supposed to meet Kate here because she's flying in with the kids. So he's ahead of me. I change the tire. I get rolling on the road. And like for like the next... Because uh, people think Texas is a small state. It's not. No, but even if they think it's big, it's bigger than that. El Paso to Austin is a terrible drive. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm literally uh, driving from that or like, and this is, you know, late night. I have a, like a little reverse camera uh, yeah. set up on my... Yeah, the backup cam uh, yeah, on yeah, the dash. backup camera, but I can watch it. So no music, literally butt clenched, driving, watching the backup camera. <laughs> I don't know, 36 hours. Um, so finally, finally I get to off 10 and I get to where 290 is and I'm going to cut, take 290 over. And as soon as I get off at 10, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go 30, 40 miles an hour, just nice and gentle and easy. I'm just going to nurse this trailer home because I could feel like I, like I knew what the tires were rubbing. Uh -huh. All of a sudden, just as I'm like kind of driving along 290 and probably about 80 miles from Austin, I hear boom. And the tire blows. <laughs> and so I pull it over to a ditch. Uh, at this point, DJ's at the house. I call him on the phone and I'm like, dude, 
I blew the the, the tire. Uh, it's late. Everything's close. I don't know what we're gonna do. So he's like, "I'll come and get you, and uh, we'll just ditch the trailer and, uh, and and the truck, and we'll just drive the Blazer and uh, come home." So we uh, he ends up driving whatever it was, uh, an hour and a half, 90 miles to where I am. Now, mind you, it's like 1.30 in the morning, 2 in the morning. Unload everything, get everything all packed up, find some like church parking lot to ditch the trailer and the truck. And then we drove the Blazer and the other truck um, back home and got home at like 4.30 in the morning, uh, which effectively made it a 36-hour trip. So I didn't really eat for 36 hours. I yeah. didn't sleep for 36 hours, and uh, I was a mess. But, so, yeah, but we, so we ended up uh, getting pulled over. We blew three tires on two trailers. Uh, we, we got pulled over. We ripped out the wiring, and we had several delays. So it was, uh, needless to say, it was an adventure. Yeah, so then I, the original plan was for me to fly back from Chicago and jump in on the caravan with the Dodge towing... Uh, Ashley's car on a tow dolly. But that just didn't shake out a couple reasons. One, landlord couldn't get me access early to our new spot. Two, the flight wasn't the flight I thought. I thought we were getting in at like, we were taking a 6 a.m. flight to get in here or get into California at maybe 10, 30, 11. We can make it happen. Uh, three, John got short on time. So there's stuff to clear out in the office still. So, and then four, uh, I hadn't thoroughly thought through how I was going to pack the back of the truck. Okay, because I also had a safe to pull. I had some files to pull. Uh, but long story short is I fucking Beverly Hillbillied it. I We packed, we created a little cubby hole in the bed of the truck between toolboxes, grills, safes, things like that. And then packed all of our shit in and then put the mattress on top and then laid tarps down and then bungeed all around. So it was like proper fucking Beverly Hillbillies set up. Not to mention Ashley's car was packed with a whole bunch of shit as well. And uh, go get the tow dolly. They don't have the tow dolly. So I couldn't have left anyways. So I got find, through U-Haul, finally find myself a tow dolly, drive this car up on top. And the guy's like, listen, it says don't back up the tow dolly. They mean it. Do, at all costs, don't fucking back this tow dolly up. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I think they just say that because we'd get through, uh, the plan is to go to Tucson, take four hours sleep at a hotel for 80 bucks, and then from Tucson, jam to Texas. And Tucson's supposed to be seven hours, but again, towing a fucking car, yeah. finding traffic in, uh, in IE, ends up taking like 10, 11 hours to get to Tucson. So we get to Tucson at like one in the morning and the plan is to grab four hours because just from uh, tumultuous cert experiences with Tex and with John, you can operate pretty well solo for 12 hours on four hours and enough coffee, right? Uh, but the still be entertaining. Yeah, for sure, which is important. Uh, another detail on the, the Dodge is its manual transmission and Ashley can't drive that. So... We, it's, Convenient. it's Ashley and the fucking dogs sleeping for 30 hours and I'm just there listening like Joe Rogan podcast and like a book on tape Tex has me listening to uh, for our book club. And dude, we fucking pull up and I drop her off, get to the room and I go pull around back and I go to take a spot next to another trailer guy. But as I'm pulling in and coasting through, I realize I'm not going to be able to make a right. I'm not going to be able to pull through. So before I set, I'm like, okay, the, the trailer's straight, the car is straight, the truck is straight, I can get eight feet. All I need is eight feet to come back out and whip around. And it didn't work out. Because I don't know what the fuck happened, I went into reverse, 
and the way the tow dolly, you, have you pulled the car on a tow dolly? Uh, no. So they have, so it's got the axle and it's got the platform on there where it cradles the wheels. Yeah. Well, that thing shifts. So as you turn, there's really a pivot on the hitch. There's a pivot on the tow dolly and the wheels of the car turn slightly. Does that make sense? So as I'm backing up, I keep the tow dolly straight, but the Volkswagen kicks out. And then I start pushing the Volkswagen fucking sideways. Oh. And I'm like, that doesn't look right, but I just need two more fucking feet. Wait, wait a minute. I got to look this thing up, dude. I've seen them. I'm just wondering why uh, why they can't go. And, uh, because uh, the, the car is on a swivel on the t- on top of the dolly. Mm-hmm. Right? So the dolly axle is fixed like a trailer. If yeah. it were just the dolly, you could back it up. But since you got another pivot, it's like a oh, two pivot. You know what I mean? I see what you're saying. Because the, the rear axle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then I start pushing this fucking thing through. I can't get it any further. So then I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I just crank it and I go to hop the curb. But before I pull that tow dolly over the curb, I just like get out and try to assess what the fuck's going to happen. And sure enough, I'm going to rip a fucking muffler off if I go over this curb. So now I'm stuck here. And we got a fucking... It's like... 1.30 in the morning so in you Tucson. you gotta basically undo the car. Gotta undo the car, but the car is fucking packed. No. So we gotta unpack oh, I, the driver's seat of the car. I pulled the, uh, <laughs> Luke parked the car in Power Athlete, and then I had to move it out to get all my stuff out, so I had to get in this thing, and the problem was he had it so packed, like... <laughs> Even the driver's seat. Well, no, no, there's a cubby in the no, driver's seat yeah, big enough so, for Ashley. Right, which... which so, so I'm trying to get John's in. John's too, Ashley. Right, and, and, the, and Luke has, like, like, the first... Like, the thing closest... <laughs> To the seat and then the steering wheel is his is his compound bow. So like the compound bow is like hitting me on the head and the steering. I'm like, oh, and I like thank God it's an automatic. I get in. I'm like door open. I'm like, I pull it into a spot and I get out. I'm like. This fucking asshole. I'm like, who packed this thing? I'm in just there? such a fucking hillbilly, man. What yeah. can I tell you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, so. anyways, we fucking, I unpack it, pull the trailer off. But anyways, like, I, I thought I, when I go to put the car in the drive to pull it off, I get fucking error codes on this fucking thing. Well, it's because I had fucking cranked past the steering lock. And when trying to like back this thing up, but I didn't know. So I'm like, I fucked Ash's car up. This thing's a lease. Everything's fucked. So my cortisol, boom, spikes. And then just get on the Google. Oh, no problem. Do this, do this. Clears the code. Sure enough, fucking shift, shift, car, clears the code and back it out. Everything's fine. But I'd already fucking thought I ruined everything. You know, so like I'm fucked. Like, oh, you mean you don't have a scanner in your car where you can clear codes? No. But but some. I keep a scanner with me at all times. Some other fucking VW, (laughs) some other VW fucking vampire like DJ figured out some way to shortcut it. Oh, yeah. It's like three clicks to the right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so long story short is get in the room, but I can't fall asleep. So it's like right now it's like two thirty, three o'clock, and I'm just and sitting what's there. What's weird is Ashley, who slept the entire time, the Sandman, the Sandman, is in there probably sleeping. Like, yeah. oh, this is a, she's like, I had a great trip. It was wonderful. We had <sighs> so much fun. But uh, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's, she's, it's a superpower. She's the worst. I'm, I'm jealous. She's I'm just jealous. Ashley, <laughs> she like the Sandman. Yeah, just mouth open, and you're like looking at her, and you're like pulling this trailer pipe full of shit. Yep, just yep. But uh, so we end up then barreling through. We get through 10 without incident. And um, but as soon as I pop off on 290, I'm coming off and I start to notice a lump, like just a lump in the trailer. And I'm thinking that it's uh, it's just the pavement. 
or at least like just like that's what I'm hoping. And I have enough fuel to make it. So I'm just like, oh, it's around the pavement, like in my head. And I just fucking same thing. White knuckles, but butthole clenched. I'm looking as cars come up behind me. I make sure that the tire's holding shape and there's no bubble or wobble. And there's not. But that is because the whole fucking shred of the tire had shredded off and i was like on the tube under the shred the wire fucking oh Jesus. The, the wire rubber man and uh, the wire wall and uh, we pull up to the fucking house you mean the steel belt yeah yeah and we pull up to the we pull up to the house and i look at this trailer tyler and i'm like fuck like just by the skin of our teeth and we finally fucking make it so all the trailers that we had towed had a casualty but I had fucking, I had U-Haul at least. They just rode aside, rode aside assistance me and changed the tire, no problem, bing, bing, boom. Yeah, we should have had that, but no, we had uh, the, the get up, dude. Well, anyways, you know what's funny about that, John? Is that's like, how, how many days ago is that? That we actually rolled up here? Uh, what, what's today? Five days, right? Yeah, we got here Thursday. Yeah. So five days ago, it's only been five days. Does it not feel like a fucking eternity, though? Yeah, I feel like we've been here a hundred years. I mean, talk about being on the grind during that, like during the past week, I'd say, of like because you did you did packing, right? Uh, what, what is what has your sleep schedule been like? Maybe four to five hours. Uh, How much water have you been drinking? Maybe ten enough. ounces, right? <laughs> How many meals? One dinner, and you like eat dinner so late, too many calories, go to bed, and it's just like, dude, I'm on the mend. I know the big guys on the mend, but we got work to do. And one of those one of those items was this podcast, and here we are, just getting it done, right? So, next step, I guess, is uh, you know John's getting all the home inspection done, and then we got to get the gym set up, right? Yeah, we got we got to do that. We got to find a place to work out in the meantime. So we mm-hmm. got a couple options. I was looking up. There's like a Gold's Gym we can go to. Mm-hmm. There's uh, that Power or Raw uh, Power. Yeah, Raw Power. And then of course we have Harry Harry Shaw uh, Harry Shaw Lakeway and, and, Fitness. Yeah, and there's a couple other gyms in the area. But yeah, there was a, another one. There's like Lakeway Elite something. So mm-hmm. I was like, man, what we should do is go around and see who's giving away free like trials. Mm-hmm. Can we try the gym out for free for two or three months? Mm-hmm. Well, you are going to be a little, uh, little. People are going to probably pick up on who you are. Why? Stature. Why? Like, who's this big guy? Well, yeah, but I think there's a lot of big guys around here. But yeah. your movies on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, so people probably recognize you from that. Me, on the other hand, I just look like another homeless guy. Yeah. Just, a, just another homeless hipster. Well, no, you're. Yeah, we're in Austin, well, so it's hipster. <laughs> well, well, we. Uh, what's kind of interesting, and uh, I was downtown, and I noticed that the um, there's a uh, kind of a, a cultural demographic to hipsters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so, talking about like yeah. So so uh, <laughs> where we are is the Newport Beach, kind of uh, is like it's all it, it's almost like. Um, uh, like, hey, listen, I'm a lumberjack. No, n- n- no, cowboy. Like, well, well, like, yeah, like, but I, I drink kombucha. I think it's like, <laughs> like hipsters are regional. Like, like it, it's really interesting. Like, there's this regional tint. The only thing I can relate it to is like, you know, yeah, like the similar type of animals and like different continents that they own. They have their own kind of, uh, you know, tint adaptations. Their, yeah, own adaptations. So what I noticed uh, the other day was we were in Austin. I noticed that there's this kind of like cowboy hipster in Austin where like I'm wearing jeans I, I, I wear plaid I'm wearing jeans I'm wearing plaid I'm wearing jeans I have on either like some like overly expensive kind of like work boots like you know Red Wing uh-huh. uh, Iron Rangers or something or like cowboy boots I have tattoos my mustache beard. is groomed and oiled yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm wearing beard oil and I have like high and tight and the whole deal and then and then tattoos of course so there's like this whole like but I'm also bow legged 
and kind of rugged. And, but I drink kombucha. But uh, <laughs> and and I'm not really in good shape, but I'm kind of pudgy. But yet, I drink kombucha. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there there was a cowboy hipster, but then there's uh, where we are in Newport Beach. There's the Newport Beach hipster, mm-hmm. where it's this kind of surfer skater Newport Beach thing. So yeah, it's like I don't know. Like I kind of want to look homeless. But I want people like to think I'm homeless, but know I'm hipster because it's so my jeans are so expensive. Yeah. But you know I'm. I'm but then you go to. Seattle, I'm not rugged at all. I'm soft. But you then know? you go to Seattle and you get like the lumberjack hipster. So I mean, like, there's a couple different types of hipsters, mm-hmm. which uh, Austin has its own kind of tint of like cowboy hipster. Have you been to the Whole Foods? Yeah, well, I took the kids yesterday. Because, to the big uh, one? Uh, yeah, because we were trying to find my wife a gluten-free birthday cake, and we were going. We went to like five different places all around here. The only place that they told me would be that the would be the uh, uh, Whole Foods in there. We, we went in there, and um, there was a kind of a. It's the epicenter. It's kind of the the mecca of uh, yeah. Austin hipsters. Well, we went there. We went to the OG Whole Foods yeah. on that same trip. Uh, to CrossFit Central yeah. it took me there and that was the only time I'd been there the three story mecca with the the moving walkways and everything leading up and uh, they did have about 800 different variations of kombucha <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah they were excited about but it but that's how you know you're in hipster paradise is, is when you have that many different versions I think of kombucha so. I think I'm going to be cowboy hipster I think I could fit that well, role you got to get a pair of boots first I, I'm wearing Cabela kangaroo boots no no it's not a hipster what no what do I got to functional oh what kind of boots do I need? I was at Vans, the uh, the Vans store, and they have Vans boots now. That sounds pretty hipster. I'm fuck. I'm in because I bought. What's you, the heel situation? You mean a set of uh, of uh, custom Littles boots aren't aren't hipster? Abs- no, absolutely not. <laughs> it's a lifetime investment, John. <laughs> oh yeah, they are a lifetime investment because forever they have your foot on there. Uh huh. Yeah. And you can take them back if something goes wrong. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll resole them. They'll do anything. Uh huh. Yeah, I actually. And they take your photo and they keep track. It's family-run business. Pretty yeah. Good. Well, um, and they re- they remembered you solely by your style, not your stature. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the first time they, not by playing in the NFL, but just by the dead man's hand. So a uh, little little backstory. Uh, years ago, uh, my agent, uh, well, my first agent um, was is, or is a Texan, and so he. <laughs> Had always promised. He's like, yeah, man. Like, when you get to the NFL, like as a Christmas gift, I want to get you a set of custom-made boots. So we go to this like old-time boot maker here in Austin, and the guy makes me a set of boots, and they send me the boots, and the the uh, the tubes, the top part, were too tight, and I couldn't get my foot in the boots. So I send like I like hit the people up. I'm like, I can't even get these on my feet. Like like the tubes are too tight. Like they like narrowed them this way. So I like send them back, and um, and then I call the people, and I'm like, hey, I need to get these refit. They're like, no problem, send them back. So then uh, the season happens. This was like the beginning of the season. So four months later, end of the season, all of a sudden I call them back. And uh, they have no record of ever receiving them. And UPS is like, we delivered them. Somebody signed for them. This is who signed for them. But they don't have my boots. So nothing. They lost my boots. And uh, the people were like, well, we don't have them. We're not. And they were kind of like kind of bitchy about it. So uh, I was like, fuck them. Fuck these boots. And um, so I never had a set of custom boots. So I always talked about, hey, I'm going to get a set of custom boots. So we had a, a seminar and, here in Texas. And I was like, you know what? There's a, there's this old-time boot maker, Little's Boots. I heard they're really good. So I, I after, yeah, on the lunch break for the seminar, I went over Little's Boots, and I got a set of boots made. And I wanted something really unique. 
And so I get this kind of weird uh, design with like six guns on one side and a dead man's hand and all this stuff that I'd wanted that was like totally based off of Harley, Davidson, Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man. And uh, so I got these killer boots made that I have. And then Tex saw them and Tex wanted to, you know, similar deal, wanted to get a set of boots made. So he goes in there and he's telling him like, oh yeah, uh, my buddy John was in here. He got boots. He describes them. They're like, I remember those boots. <laughs> dead man's hand. Yeah, dead man's hand. Yeah. So there was some irony in that, in that uh, um, I actually went to uh, Deadwood, uh, you know, um, uh, when I, I went to uh, South Dakota uh, to go see the uh, the monuments and actually went to the place where supposedly, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank, uh, oh, who is it? It's um, had the dead man's hand uh, when he got shot in the back. Um, fuck, I can't believe I'm fucking up my history here. But uh, famous gunfighter, and I and I'll, I'll, I'm totally drawing. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. Uh, William Will, uh, no, uh, William Bill Hickok was, and I'm fucking. I might be fucking this up. But <laughs> Deadwood, South Dakota. Listen, people, just yeah, we don't have internet tired. here. Right, it's been was, a long week, but was, you can look this up. Was sitting at a bar playing cards and gets shot in the back and he had the dead man's hand. So I actually got to sit at the table supposedly where he got shot and we had drinks. And that's so, the inspiration. And so that was the inspiration. I was like, man, if I ever get a set of boots, I'm going to have there. And then the six guns were uh, um, years ago, as you guys know, I got some tattoos. When I was big into getting tattoos, I wanted to get a set of six guns tattooed on my side. <laughs> Christmas Abbott style. Well, she has them on her hips. I wanted them on my sides like this. Okay. Like, like I was going to draw them. And um, I, I wanted to know what they looked like. So Kyle Turley, I have a Carhartt jacket, took the Carhartt jacket and actually did like freehand drawings on it. And on it, it has the six guns because I wanted to see what it looked like before I got it tattooed on there. And so he, he, he basically handed this jacket for me with the six guns and I used to wear it all the time. And uh, oddly enough, um, I never got it tattooed, but I was always like, like the idea. So when I went to get the boots, I was like, I put some six guns on there. And then I, uh, I have roses on there for my daughters. So I had roses, six guns and dead man's hand. Uh, almost, it kind of reminded me probably in their ordering it. Like, um, when I assume people that get high do shit, like they get high and they'll be like, yeah, put some guns on there and then some roses and like, and, and some cards. <laughs> These people probably were like, this fucking guy, what is he, high? And uh, so, no, it came out some killer boots, so. Yeah, and like five years later, they still... Yeah, they still remembered them. Yeah. Yeah, but amazing process. I recommend it for anybody. Just fucking sit you down, take your measurements, and then you create the design with them. Mm-hmm. Talk color schemes, whatever, artistic art. Uh, and they have to create it, turn it into leather, and then put it together in the boots. So it's... Yeah. Amazing experience. Last yeah, no. pair of boots all about. Yeah, and uh, and and just being a part of the process. I mean, like you go in there and they like have like a vault of all the uh, uh, you know like your foot rub. I mean, it, it's a real process. Like they send it to you. Like I have mine in the safe, and like you know it's got your name. And like if you ever have any problems, you can call and order boots. Uh, you know, I mean, it, I mean the process takes a while too. I mean, how long did you wait on yours? It's a year, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I went in December twenty third, and I got them in September twenty third. Yeah, I think mine was like seven or eight months. And then they show up and you're like, ooh. So I actually put mine, you wore yours. I just had mine sitting on the shelf because I thought they were so cool. I looked at them. So I had them actually in my office on my shelf for like six months before I ever wore them just because I was like, they look too nice. They just look like art. Yeah. So yeah, little boots, bitching. Well, that's it, people. We are here. 
We're now John has to wear them. Uh, yeah. I am. I'm gonna we try to. All right, I need to go find some pants to wear them with because I have. Oh, all, you got the hipster jeans. Well, yeah, all my jeans are kind of like tapered, so I got to try to find some pants that are a little boot more cut. Boot cut. So I'll try to find those. We got anything else? And I need a 36 length. That's another one because nobody ever likes wearing boots where you like look like you're waiting on the flood. That's a bad deal. You got to have like a little bit of a stack. Is that true, Tex? Yeah. So I'm a, typically a 30, but I go a 31 for my my Wranglers. Oh yeah. Yeah. That way you get a little, oh, you, you wear Wranglers, huh? Oh. <laughs> I'm loyal, brand loyal. In, but only in Texas you wear the Wranglers. I've never seen you wear the Wranglers. He like split that. the Wranglers on the belt on the pit shark, didn't he? Those are the only jeans I own. Yeah, they survived the, the Louis Simmons belt squad. But those aren't like uh, like the old like like the uh, OG Wranglers, are they? The butt patch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I, I know, but like the Wranglers I know are like the uh, are the, are this color blue, and are like. Like the cowboy wranglers, like the ones that like the bull riders wear. So uh, they, like you know the ones I'm talking about. There's like an acid washed color. That's probably my favorite. Why? So, it brings out the arm hair. Yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and then, yeah, the acid wash is more slimming, John. Is this your first time buying jeans? You know, Tex gets the, just the thigh acid wash, so he gets that slimming look on his wranglers, right? That, that, maybe that's your cowboy hipster. Well, here's the thing, dude. I'll tell you what your Wranglers are missing. You want to know? A beard? Nope. Rhinestones. You need to jewel those up. You got to oh, bedazzle those fucking them. jeans. That's true cowboy. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I know. Like if you had a bedazzle. Bro, I know. Well, I, I, I told you uh, when I came out here to do the inspection on the house, I was at um, the Starbucks up the corner. And this lady, uh, was. I walk in and this lady in front of me was wearing these like skin tight jeans. They have like the pockets, like the, the stitching is all white, like white stitching. And uh, they got like all these, like they're all jeweled up. She's got like this like, um, like belt on that's all jeweled up. And on the belt, she has a Glock in like a Kydex, open top Kydex, like pink Kydex. And the Glock's all like painted up all like, uh, um, you know, like fucking artsy. And she has it on her hip, like back here at like, would that be like almost 4 35 o'clock she has it on her hip and uh she's she's at starbucks ordering and i'm looking at this lady and i'm looking at this glock um there's no retention on it she's like forward i'm staying behind her i could have taken the gun and shot her and not only everybody else but i'm like this lady has a glock on her hip open carry style like it's a fashion statement yeah but didn't have enough dazzling, so she's technically not a cow- cowgirl. She had she had a lot of. I mean, that whole, she had rhinestones all over that belt. And all, can you get rhinestones on those those boots on the little boots? I'm sure you can for yours, buddy. All right. This just, mean, this, uh, my birthstone is uh, blue. I think so. I have to go with that. See, uh, Luke wouldn't appreciate the investment. Clearly not. No, no. of course I would, he, but I would never make the investment. That's the thing. I'm yeah, too cheap. Yeah, he'd he'd be like, okay, let me go to a boot barn. What's on the bargain basement aisle? Okay, one's a ten, one's an eleven. Bargain basement person. boot barn. That's me for sure. Yeah. yeah, where where'd you get those boots? Bargain basement boot barn. Yeah. Cool. But. All right, people, that is it. That wraps it up. We've got stuff to do. The monkeys are up, running around. Thanks for listening, as always. If you, uh, and also, if you've ordered from our shop, .powerathletehq.com, literally today is what, Tuesday or Wednesday? We're setting Tuesday. that, it, the, everything's on the rack and been getting ready to ship as, getting ready to ship as we speak. So thanks for your patience, people. And that'll bring it to a close. Right? Sounds good. All right. Bye. See you. Bye.
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. As advertised, the Power Athlete Academy and Symposium content will be popping off this weekend. Check in at academy.powerathletehq.com for details on a seriously amazing educational program that will make you a more informed coach. It's unbelievable the amount of effort that's gone into creating this resource for knowledge. Until next time, bye!